Welcome to the Idea Climbing Podcast. My name is Mark J. Carter, and I'll be your host. And today, we'll be talking about how to get your B2B podcast set up, how to find your first guests, and you'll learn about content-based networking and why the type of guests that you get is infinitely more important than the number of listeners that you have. We're here with James Carberry, founder of Sweetfish Media and co-host of the B2B Growth Podcast. I'm so glad you could be here today, James. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you today, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me, man. And I'd love to just jump right in. In one of our last conversations, you mentioned content-based networking. Could you explain that concept? Because I think it's yeah. so powerful and people miss it. Yeah. So so in uh, the, the way we define content-based networking is essentially collaborating with your ideal clients, uh, potential referral partners and industry influencers to create content with them uh, to really build meaningful business relationships. So I think uh, uh, podcasting obviously fits into that because you can easily interview you know, anyone uh, and feature them on your show and then end up creating a real relationship with them that ultimately maps to business results for you. Uh, but so many people think about podcasting in terms of like, how many listeners am I going to have? How many people are going to be downloading the episodes? And to me, that's, that, that's a benefit for sure. I've, I've, you know, B2B growth is a show that, you know, we're getting 75,000 downloads a month and, and there's certainly business that we get from the listeners of that show. But even if your show has six downloads a month, to me, it doesn't matter because of this, you know, this concept of content-based networking. You're using the relationship with your guest to actually drive business results, uh, and I know that that's, that's something you're hugely passionate about as well. So, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah I, I just I'm I'm super bullish on it. How did you discover that? I mean, is it something you just always did and then went, oh, my God, I just d dissected what I've been doing? Or did you intentionally start building it from the start? Yeah, so so I my very first podcast uh, was a podcast called Inspiring Awesome. And uh, I did it with my buddy. And uh, it was really just, you know, a way for us to put out content that we, you know, in, we wanted to feature people that we knew were doing really cool things in the world. So people that had started nonprofits, people that were just doing really interesting, fun things. There was really not a, I didn't have a strategy in, in place for trying to connect with people. I wasn't trying to actively grow my network. Um, but uh, throughout the course of doing that show, I think we did like 50 episodes or something like that. And I ended up starting my business, uh, starting Sweetfish towards the end of us doing that show. And a, a few of my early clients at uh, Sweetfish, at the time we were just a content writing shop. We weren't doing podcasts yet. And, uh, but some of my early clients, people that were paying me, you know, 500, 1,000 bucks a month to write content for them, uh, they were guests on Inspiring Awesome. And that should have been my first clue, but I didn't really think about it at the time. I just thought, oh, well, these, yeah, these are people that I just so happen to meet through, through the podcast. Um, you know, this is great. Now, now we're doing business together. Uh, but I got about 10 months into that business, um, uh, that that version of the business model where we were writing content for for different companies, and realized that there was one particular this nonprofit that we were doing really great work for, and it was this, this very niche type of nonprofit. And I thought, man, we could do content like this for for every uh, for every nonprofit in this in this kind of arena uh, across the country. And there's a lot of these, you know, nonprofits. 
And so I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to start a podcast uh, focused on this specific niche, and then I'm going to ask all the decision makers at these nonprofits, which are pretty hard people to get in front of. They're really busy. Uh, but if I, if I start a podcast that's focused on this particular type of nonprofit, it makes, it's going to make perfect sense for them to be a guest on the show, and then I'll build relationships with them, and we'll go from there. And that's exactly what I did. And it turns out I, you know, I sent out 100 emails to people that I had no relationship with whatsoever, but they were all decision makers at these nonprofits that I was trying to break into because I wanted to do business with them, and 80% of them responded to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is insane. Like, I, all, all, you know, this show doesn't even exist yet. I'm just basically saying I want to interview on a show that, that isn't even, I haven't even done anything with yet. And all these people are saying yes uh, to, to being a guest on the show, which means, you know, we're going we're gonna to do an interview with them, and then I'm going to actually know them. And, and so it turns out that particular type of nonprofit, they, they, don't, they don't have budget for, uh, for podcasting, or not for podcasting, for, for written content, which is what we were selling at the time. And so it, it, there was no product market fit there. But I got out of that experience basically thinking, oh, my gosh, for a B2B company that knows who their target buyer is, we were still so early in our business, I didn't even know who my ideal buyer was at that point. I thought it was this type of nonprofit, but it turns out that wasn't the case because they didn't have money to pay us. And so, uh, so I, I thought, but this strategy could work across the board for, for any B2B company that knows, actually knows who their buyer is. Uh, and so that's when we made the pivot. And in January of 2016 is when we repositioned ourselves as a podcast agency, uh, specifically producing podcasts for, for these B2B companies so that they could execute this strategy. And so two and a half years later, we said, man, you know, we've, we really want to name, like really name and brand this strategy of using content collaboration as a mechanism to growing your network, your professional network. And, uh, and so that's hence you know, why we came up with content-based networking. And, and it's obviously the, the thing that we advocate for the most in our business. There's lots of other benefits to podcasting, but I think its ability to connect you with pretty much anybody you want to talk to uh, is so huge. But people don't think about that. They only think about listeners. And so I always tell people, listeners don't matter in B2B. It is all about your guest selection and are you getting the right guests on your show because those guests are going to be what turns into revenue much quicker than your listeners will. So why with that, why is it that you think so many companies and people miss the boat with content-based networking? I mean, why do you think yeah. they don't get it? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, I, honestly, I think marketers just don't understand uh, it, their paycheck isn't contingent on them having quality relationships with buyers. Salespeople, I've found, tend to get it a lot. The problem with selling this, you know, what we do, uh, you know, doing these podcasts, selling it to salespeople is tough because sales leaders, the people making decisions, uh, they want volume. And so they want to say, okay, we want to, we want to be able to cold call a thousand people a day, or we want to be able to cold email 10,000 people a week. Uh, because I think there's still this, uh, in my opinion, incorrect assumption that volume, uh, is, uh, is, is the path to success. I think there's certain elements of that. There's guys like Miles Veth that are, are, you know, advocate for, for volume plus quality. Um, and I think it, it, 
all that to say, it's it's tough to get sales leaders that can actually buy off on a strategy like this, all in on it. But the but the the sales like the individual contributors on sales teams that I talk to about the strategy are all in on it because they're like, oh my gosh, the thing I struggle with the most is breaking into my target accounts. Getting them to talk to me is the hardest part, and so. If I have a podcast or if I, have, if I develop some type of content, maybe it's a blog, maybe it's a video series, it doesn't have to be a podcast, it can be a, a, you know, anything, but if I can collaborate with these people and ask them to help me create this content, uh, then they're going to say yes to that because it's not perceived as someone trying to sell them something. But on the marketing side, uh, marketers, I don't think really care as much about building out their network. And so it's tough for marketers to understand like, okay, well, why, you know, we're measured on reach. We're measured on, you know, how many people are consuming our content. So why would I care about, you know, over the course of a year, the 52 people that we feature on the show, you know, that, that surely that can't, that can't matter. But in reality, if one of those 52 people that you interview on your show end up turning into a client and you're at a B2B company with your, you know, with $250,000 lifetime value of a, of a customer, then that one guest ended up paying for the entire production of your show and more. And it created a whole bunch of content in the process. Uh, so that, that's, I think, why people are, you know, are, are slow to adapt to it. And you also said what I think is powerful that you were getting you got an eighty percent response rate and you didn't even have a show yet. So if someone's listening right now and saying, "Okay, you got my attention with what you just said about fifty two guests. I want to get started. Now, what do I do? What would you tell them? How, yeah. What's the best way to get started? Yeah. So I, I think I think you get started by um, you know. There's man, there's 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 a lot that goes into it. We've got a 26 step process. If you go to sweetfishmedia.com, you can you can download our, our kind of 26 step guide, or you we've got a blog post even. So if you don't want to give us your email, you can just check out the blog post. If you just type in how to start a podcast and then Sweetfish Media in Google, it should pull up. Uh, so so I think that that's like a very tactical list list of kind of hosting provider do you use and you know what equipment do you buy that kind of thing uh, but I, I think the thing that I have found that is critical in getting started is reaching out and asking people to be a guest so before you get a logo you know before you have a logo designed and the iTunes copywritten and I, I literally think you can think of you know five to ten people that you would want to interview on the show that are relevant, you know, for your industry. Maybe they're a potential buyer for you. They're a potential referral partner for you. Maybe they're just an industry influencer. But reach out and say, "Hey, I want to interview you on the podcast." Send them your your Calendly link or whatever link that you use to to do your scheduling, and uh, and then get it on the calendar. And once you have that interview on the calendar, it's going to act as a uh, a forcing function for you to do the things that you need to do to get the show going. So it's going to force you to buy the equipment you need, which is not that expensive. It's not that complex. Um, it's going to force you to get. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot people of people think I have to set up a whole studio and I have to do. Oh, yeah, it's not worth it. It is. 
No, it is not the case at all. Like the podcast setup that that I'm using right now cost me, I think, 165 bucks. I mean, a 65 dollar mic, a seven dollar pop filter, and I think like a 30 dollar desk arm. Uh, it is it is not uh, expensive to buy this equipment. You can Google, you know, best podcast equipment or most affordable podcast equipment, and and you can find a ton of different lists that share this stuff. Uh, but to record the interviews, you know, we use a tool called Uber Conference, which is totally free. Uh, it's in, you know, it's a basically a conference calling software, uh, but you can basically just send the link to whoever you're wanting to interview, and they can either call in from their phone or they can they can uh, click the link and and do it via their computer, uh, and you can record the conversation that way. It's super easy. You download the audio, you know, right right when you're done with the conversation, uh, and then you can send that audio over to an audio engineer. Get a you know little bumper put on the front and the back. Uh, the thing that I think makes our service really valuable is how we repurpose audio content. So turning it into written content on LinkedIn is extremely powerful. I get probably more reach on LinkedIn than I do even on our podcast, and we have a really good listener base of our show. Um, so all that to say. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get get too off track here, but I think getting started, uh, the first thing I would say about getting started is get your first five to ten guests locked in, get those interviews scheduled, and that will force you to do what you need to do to actually make the show come alive. How do you have so much success on LinkedIn? Because I think that's a great crossover with the salespeople and marketers. Chances are good on some level they're using LinkedIn, whether a heavy yeah. user or just using it for networking. Yeah. Talk more, I'd love to hear more about your strategy because it's so successful. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think with LinkedIn, the mistake that people make there is uh, is they're just phoning it in, and they're not really putting a lot of care and attention into the content that they're creating there. And uh, so, there's a couple different things that I found. Whenever you write a LinkedIn article. Um, it doesn't get it doesn't get great reach. So when I say a LinkedIn article, uh, it's like a long form post, you know, a thousand words or you know, the equivalent of a blog post inside of the LinkedIn platform. For whatever reason, LinkedIn doesn't give a lot of visibility to those types of posts. But what they do give a ton of visibility to are LinkedIn status updates. These cap you at, I think it's 1,300 characters, so it's about a 300-word post, so it's not a lot of copy. And if you can share relevant, insightful content inside the context of a LinkedIn status update, and you can you, you publish that content, you're not just teasing an article that you found, uh, you're not just teasing your podcast episode and saying, oh, check out these three tips on podcasting. You're actually sharing the good stuff inside that status update. Uh, and when you share good content like that, so long as it gets some pretty good engagement within the first hour that the post is live, and I can talk about how you can go about reverse engineering that engagement, but so long as it gets good engagement in those first few minutes or for first hour, LinkedIn sees it and goes, oh man, this thing's got 15 likes and a couple comments in the first hour. We're going to start putting it in front of more people. So they start going to your existing network, maybe even your second and third degree network, and they start showing your post to other people, which if the content is good, it's going to continue getting engagement and you're capitalizing on LinkedIn's algorithm to get your content in front of more people. Um, and so... 
yeah, I, I just think they're, I, I'm very bullish on, on LinkedIn, especially if you have a podcast, because you're already doing the hard part of creating the content with your guests. If you can then repurpose that content and share tangible takeaways from the episodes that you're recording on LinkedIn in the form of a status update, you're going to mm-hmm. crush. Well, to get that content, it presupposes that there was a good interview and you've, yep. got, you've got good content through the interview. Totally. What tips would you have about interviewing? Because you can't just turn on a camera. You can't just get a, even a mo- movie-level camera and microphone, turn it on, and expect magic. What tips would totally. you have for successful interviews? That's such a great question, Mark. So the, the methodology that we use um, you know, is, is, is with this approach of knowing that your guests, at least in B2B, your guests are the most are, are the critical component of your podcast strategy. And so uh, when you brand the show around your ideal buyer, so for us, our show B2B Growth, it is branded around you know, B2B marketers and B2B salespeople. Those are the people that buy from us. And so uh, when I go to a VP of marketing and I ask him to be on the show, I tell them, hey, the show's about, you know, exactly what the name of the show is, B2B growth, B2B marketing. Is there a particular topic as it relates to, to B2B marketing that you would want to share on the show? And then I say this critical line, and it is very critical. I tell them the more granular we can get with the topic, the better. And that sets them up to not just say, oh, I want to talk about you know, marketing attribution. Instead, they, when you tell them, hey, I want to go really granular, they say things like, oh man, we did this campaign last month and there were, there were some specific things that we optimized it for that re- ended up really producing results for us. I hear that and I go, man, heck yes, let's talk about that. And then once we nail the, the topic that they're going to talk about, I go back to the guests and I say, hey, what are three to five specific talking points that we want to make sure that we cover on our interview with you? And so if you'll notice both of those questions, I put the onus on the guest to drive the content. But if you think about it, that guest is my ideal buyer. And so if they're driving the content, then that means the content that they come up with is probably going to be really relevant for their peers who are my other ideal buyers. So when I have a VP of marketing come up with the specific topic, the specific uh, uh, takeaways for their episode, that, that means other people that I want to pay attention to this content are, are probably going to find that pretty relevant to them. So if you're doing a podcast for healthcare executives, because healthcare executives are your buyers, and you're asking these healthcare executives to talk about you know different elements of healthcare that they're thinking about, or or things they're learning, uh, ways that they're implementing different uh, different initiatives in, into their business. What they talk about is going to be relevant to other healthcare executives, and so by that's how we really make sure that the content is good. Is we we have our we, we reach out to the right guests, uh, people that that we know are going to have something to say about an, an industry that is interesting to uh, the other people that we want listening to the show. And then we ask them to go very granular on what the topic is. Then we have them tell us very specific things that they want the listeners to take away from from their episode. And then that guides our entire outline. So when I know the three to five talking points, it makes it very easy for me to do an intro and then set up the guest to talk about those three to five things. And then at the end, we've got a 15-minute episode that covers very granular, specific takeaways. It's not fluff that's full of you know, 
content about your your dog and you know your last vacation to Hawaii and you know which is what a lot of podcasters I, I tune out because there's no real value in it and so uh, so the, using that methodology I think it guarantees that you've got great audio content and then you can then take that audio content you could take those three to five takeaways and you can now turn it into really incredible written LinkedIn content that gets you know massive engagement and reach. So what does, because you just got granular with that, which is excellent, what does that initial outreach look like? Is it as simple as want to be on my podcast or do you have other tactics? Yeah, so some, you know, I, it, it works differently. I mean, we're, we're producing shows for, I think, close to 50 clients now. And so it's, it's different in different industries. And, and to say that it's, uh, it's tough for me to, to give kind of a blanket answer here. Um, I tend to go with B2B growth. I do really short uh, outreach emails. So two to three sentences tops, you know, hey, so-and-so saw that you're speaking at this conference, would love for you uh, to be a guest on our podcast, you know, because we actually have some legitimate like download numbers. I've started sharing those numbers now. So I'll say something like our show's downloaded, you know, over 75,000 times a month. Uh, we've had guests like Gary Vaynerchuk and Simon Sinek. Uh, would love to have you on the show as well. Are you interested? Uh, and then I, the the big component of that email is that la very last line. So you want to ask a very direct question. You want to make it so they they say yes or no. And I think uh, I see a lot of people mess up cold emails by just not having a clear call to action at the end. So you want to make sure you do that. Uh, if if there's any sort of social proof about your show, uh, you know, include that in there. But I don't think these emails need to be long and exhaustive. If if uh, you know, depending on the tool that you're using, we use a tool called Mailshake to do a lot of our outreach. And I've noticed that whenever I put a link in those emails, it tends to go to more spam. It gets caught in a lot of spam filters. And so I've stopped putting a link to our show in there. Um, so that's why I put in more social, you know, the social proof of, you know, our show gets downloaded over 75,000 times. Obviously, if you're just getting started, that's not going to be the case for you. But if your show is really niche, let's say you're, you, you're trying to reach dentists, you do consulting for dentists or whatever. Um, you have a show the cult you know the savvy dentist or or savvy dental or something like that you're asking dentists to be on your show because of the niche nature of it uh, people are likely going go, they're going to be like oh this is super relevant of course I'll be a guest because people are have a uh, they're they're interested in what's best for themselves and they see an opportunity to be featured in a niche publication in niche media uh, as an expert, they know that that's beneficial for them. They know they're going to be able to email their list about it. They're going to be able to give it to their marketing person and their, you know, it's free PR basically. And so, uh, so I think, you know, if your messaging is tight and good and you don't come, you know, completely go on with an, you know, eight page you know, <laughs> email, uh, I think you're, you're probably going to have pretty good luck with it. To close out with all the success you've had with this, and there's so, so many strategies, tactics, and everything else, what's the one thing for business owners and marketers that you really feel they need to know about podcasting? I think the, the biggest mistake I see people make that I would want people to avoid is uh, to stop branding their show around themselves. Instead, you want to brand the show around your ideal buyer. And so an example to illustrate that, we've got – uh, we've got a client that, um, you know, their, the com their company name is Caliber Mind, and they, it's AI technology for, for marketers. 
And so instead of branding the show around AI uh, and and making it so that you know they can only talk to people that know something about AI, instead they've branded their show the Intelligent Marketer. And so in, now when you when you brand the show around yourself and your expertise you're ostracizing yourself and, and you're siloing yourself away from being able to interview your ideal clients. And so for, for us with B2B Growth, there's a reason our show isn't about podcasting. Because if our show is about podcasting, which is our expertise, I wouldn't be able to reach out to virtually any VP of marketing and a mid-sized B2B tech company who's our ideal buyer. I wouldn't be able to reach out to them and ask them to be a guest on our show because they don't know anything about podcasting. So it would make no sense for them to be a guest on a show about something they know nothing about. So instead for us, we've done B2B growth. And so the, now we can, we can reach out to a wide variety of people, ask them to talk about what they're passionate about, what they care about, and now our show's you know, one of the top-ranked podcasts, according, according to Forbes, on Apple Podcasts. And so uh, that, that small shift, I think, is a huge thing that people should know. Don't brand the show around you. Brand the show around the people that you want to do business with, and, uh, and then go and interview them. That is excellent advice, my God. I can see the, I can see the difference with, with doing that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes sense because people want thought leadership, right? So if they're the guru on, you know, a, a particular topic, they, they want to start a show about that topic to prove that they're, you know, that they're the specialist, that they're the thought leader. But the problem with that is it just takes a really, really long time to establish listenership and get a bunch of people listening to a show about, you know, about that niche thing. Sometimes it can happen quicker, um, but it, it's, it's podcasts are saturated enough to where it just, it takes a little bit, of, it, it takes a little bit of time. But if you can do a show in a way where you can have 10 downloads, but your first, your first 10 guests, you know, two of those guests end up turning into clients for you. And if you're a B2B company with, you know, lifetime value that's, you know, 250K or a lot of times higher than that, then man, that's, you don't, you don't need a lot of listeners. So uh, branding the show around your ideal buyer is just such a smarter strategy, in my opinion. That is a perfect way to end this conversation. Thank you so much for being here, James. Thank you for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to go to ideaclimbing.com to learn more about idea climbing and hear other conversations about mentoring, marketing, and more.